Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. This is the delayed 38B episode and I apologize I am getting this out on Monday the 25th of October instead of the previous Friday like I usually do. It's been a little bit of a busy week, a couple of weeks really, for me. So I am doing the best I can getting all of the podcast stuff out. I love doing this podcast but unfortunately I do have a day job and other responsibilities in my life, and so that is why this episode is going to be late. Well, is late. But that being considered, I do have so much really fun stuff to talk about today. Really, um, a lot of really exciting stuff I am very pumped to talk about. Uh, One thing that I want to mention first is on this episode, I'm going to be referencing a few posts that are on my website blog, uh, which I set up this morning to be all on the front page of my site right there. If you just scroll down a little bit, if you would like to go read those for yourself, I will be mentioning them a couple of times through the web through the podcast uh, my website is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com and it's there on the front page there um a couple of links to different things. You'll see it super obvious um, if you would like to follow along with those whenever I mention them uh, on this podcast. But things that we're going to be covering through the episode includes starting off with the news, like usual. Uh, The news includes stuff about Cowboy Bebop, the firing of the Superman, son of Kal-El colorist, which is quite humorous, World War Hulk movie rumors, Hayden Christensen returning in Ahsoka, the series, Um, A little bit of news on a Tom King project and my thoughts on Aquaman King of Atlantis. Additionally, there are three other news segments that I will be discussing that all contain spoilers. Um, One, the first one is um, dealing with the X-Men and a character who is showing up in the X-Men series. I don't really know people's sensitivity to spoilers um, who listen to this podcast, so I'm just going to be very... Uh, loose about that until I actually get there and we'll actually spoil it. The second point is something that I'm actually going to discuss a little bit further down um, in the podcast episode when we get there, but it has to deal with Ileana Rasputin and why she is going to be a big name character coming up in Marvel Comics in 2022. And finally, if you have heard the spoiler about the Eternals movie that somehow just all over the internet the next morning. I guess NDAs aren't a thing anymore for Marvel. Um, But if you've heard about that, I'm going to be discussing that rumor pretty, pretty in depth as well. I guess it's not actually a rumor. It's just, it's an eternal spoiler. And then we have the comic book picks this week, which admittedly, I only have a few things I'm going to discuss. Like I said, I've been very busy and there's actually a number of comics that I haven't even finished reading from this past week. Um, So we're going to talk about Batcat number eight, Nubia and the Amazons number one, which we'll be talking about probably the most out of these. Very briefly, hashtag Poison Ivy Watch and Catwoman Lonely City number one, Trial of Magneto number three, and then Death of Doctor Strange number two, which is going to be a lot about Clea. Um, I'm very excited for that one. 
after the weekly pick list, we're going to talk about, finally, it's been announced, Marvel Comics solicitations in January 2022, going over things that I felt were noteworthy or new or worth mentioning on the January 2022 Marvel solicitations. I'll be going over all of those things, and there is some super duper exciting stuff. Um, I'm going to be talking about a lot about characters like She-Hulk and Ileana Rasputin and Madeline Pryor again. This is all going to be referencing stuff on that front page of my website if you want to have a little bit more insight on these characters. And finally, the last thing we're going to talk about in this episode is the Titans Season 3 finale, entitled Purple Rain. They did not use the song, and I was disappointed, but it was a really good episode, and it has me excited for Season 4, which is exactly what this was supposed to do. So, got the job done, and then some. So, we'll discuss that when we get to the towards the end of the episode. As always, if you would like to get in touch with me or find me online, my Instagram username is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics. My Twitter is Savage She Geek. That is where I, you know, normal Twitter stuff. But also, if there's any updates on the podcast, when things will be posted or pushed back or whatever, that will be where I will be putting those updates. I do have my website, which I have already mentioned on here, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You have to have .weebly in there or you won't get anywhere. Um, and that is where I post a tent, well, posted a lot of writing before I started the podcast and pretty much everything that I wrote, I now cover likewise in the podcast um it's just a different format really um but it's a lot of fun i also have reading orders for some of my favorite female characters in comics including madeline Pryor and iliana rasputin aka magic both of which are going to be extremely re relevant in the comics in 2022 as well as the character of clea who is commonly known as the wife of dr strange um, she is also going to become relevant in the MCU very, very soon. So if you would like to cover any of the history of those characters, I definitely recommend reading those. Again, they are all linked on the front page of my website because they're going to be coming up in various places of Marvel, very importantly, very soon, if that, if that made sense. But also on my website, you can find my podcast pod notes, which are the notes that I uh, kind of create throughout the week to go over in each podcast episode. I put them on the website to make sure that anybody who is perhaps hearing impaired can still follow along with the week to week activities of the podcast. Or if you just like to read it instead of listening to me gab for a while, that is also there for you to access. I also have links to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast on my site, which does include most places and YouTube. My YouTube is just Sensational She Geek, super easy to remember. Um, I post all of my podcast videos or episodes, I suppose, in a single playlist in order so they're all very easy to find and catch up on or go back and refer to whatever your dealio is. Um, and I also post occasionally action figure review videos, of which lately there hasn't been too often, but the latest one has been the Hasbro Marvel Legends HasLab 
Sentinel from the 2020 HasLab. Um, I know a lot of people still have not gotten their Sentinel, which I understand is incredibly frustrating, um, but I do have the unboxing and reveal video on my YouTube page again, Sensational She Geek, if you would like to see any of that. Um, one of the more popular um, unboxing videos that I have is actually my Lady Death one. It is age-restricted because of her costume. <laughs> it's a very, very accurate to the costume look that she has. It's a great figure. Um, that video has been getting a lot of attention recently. Maybe it's because of Halloween coming up. I don't know. Um, but that's all there on my YouTube page if you have any interest in it. Recently, I have also set up a podcast Patreon under Sensational She Geek uh, that has been set up for donations to support the podcast. Uh, Patreon is like a monthly subscription service where creators can give rewards or whatever they want or nothing to supporters who give a monthly amount. Um, the whole idea for me would be, um, I, being able to support the podcast, I would be able to work less and put out better, uh, podcast material, putting in more things like sound effects and a little intro song, whatever the case may be, um, just making it all better and just a generally better experience for everybody involved. So whatever you would feel like that would be worth to you, you know, the price of a comic book a month, the price of a, a video rental, whatever it may be, um, that is set up there if you wish to support the podcast, as well as my, uh, the Ko-fi, the Cash App, Venmo, PayPal. It's all linked on my link tree now if you wish to donate to support the podcast. Um, and that link tree link should be appearing at the end of every episode. Um, the bottom of their episode description. So that is all there if you wish to support the podcast. Again, this podcast will always be free. Um, I will never be charging to listen to it. Someday I may get into monetizing it properly um, and there might be ads at that point. You can always skip through them. That's super easy. Um, but as for now, I do work my day job to support myself and my husband and my cat uh, and the podcast creation. So um, any, anything that comes through any of those donation services would go directly to me being able to work more on the podcast and less on my day job. Also, recently, I made my very first Redbubble sticker sale, which was exciting. There's a good 22 cents cash in the pocket there. Um, the sticker said, A Woman's Place is in the Comic Shop. It's something that I have set up on Redbubble that you can get it as like a, a bumper sticker, a shirt, a mug, a print, whatever else. They do pretty much everything. Um, so that's there. That was like the first sticker design that I thought of because, you know, the old cliche. Um, and then I, you know, the woman's places in the Cobbit shop is just a fun little flip on all of those, you know, anti-female comics gate type things. So I really enjoy that. And I'm hoping that this person, whoever they are, really enjoys their sticker. Um, and I do have a couple other designs, um, like that on the Redbubble Red site under She Geek Shop, if you are at all interested. Let's get to talking about this week's news. Starting off again, like I had said before, with some Cowboy Bebop discussion. This past week, we did see the first official trailer, or rather teaser trailer for Cowboy Bebop. Um, 
which is coming out, if I can remind you, on November 19th. So you have a little under a month to catch up on the animated show, which is, if you were not aware, entirely updated on Netflix now. Obviously, Netflix doing the live action show. They have had the, they now have the rights to put the animated show up, and that is entirely available in its one season existence um, on Netflix. And so then we can all go through and hopefully delightfully <laughs> compare the live action show to the animated one when that comes out on November 19th. But as for the trailer, it was really fun. Um, it was cute. It showed some of the things that we'll probably be seeing in the show, I am sure all edited with the characters kind of interacting with the the scene breaks on the screen, a little bit fourth wall style. Not sure if the show is going to be that way or if they just did that for the trailer, but it does look like this will be probably a little bit cheesy. I don't think there was ever any way to avoid that, but it should be entertaining enough, um, you know, in a good way that this will be a positive experience and we're not going to... Um, Regret ever being excited for this one. <laughs> I think it'll be fun. Cheesy, of course, but it'll be fun. Over at DC Comics this past week, there's a little bit of a, a skerfuffle, um, a little bit of drama, you could say, as the colorist for Superman, Son of Kal-El, was fired. <laughs> Let's recap the news here. So... In case you missed it, which I doubt you did because it's everywhere. Um, John Kent, the son of Clark Kent, who is the traditionally known Superman, correct? Um, he, John, is now the Superman of Earth, I guess. Is it, of, is it of Metropolis or is it of Earth? Whatever it is, he's the like main Superman at the DC Universe right now in the comics. It was also recently announced that he is uh, going to be coming out as bisexual when he uh, asks out or kisses or dates, whatever the case may be, um, this character, I want to say Jay, uh, who is a reporter, so it's kind of funny because his mom's a reporter and his dad fell in love with his mom, um, who he's going to start dating in the Superman Son of Kal-El series issue, I believe, five, coming out, I think, next month. Um, this is something that I've discussed a fair amount in the past couple of episodes, so you can go back and listen to what I have to say about it there. I, there's no reason to have issue with this, so it's not even, um, worth saying that I don't have issue with this. But apparently some people do have issue with this. Um, I'm not even gonna name this guy, because honestly, he is so, so stupid. He doesn't deserve to be named. But he was the colorist on Superman's Son of Kal-El. Um, he spent four and a half hours ranting on a stream or a podcast or something about various comic skate points and making gay jokes about John Kent. Obviously he got fired. I mean, that's because duh. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> people be dumb. And if you're unfamiliar, and I'm jealous of you if you are unfamiliar with Comicsgate, but Comicsgate is this, like, club of incels, basically, who don't think that women or minorities or anything like that have any place in comics, be it as creators 
or characters who are any kind of respected <laughs> um, or anything like that, or readers uh, also. So um, they are the people who are making Chelsea Kane quit comics and therefore I want them all to die because she is literally the best thing to happen to comics in comics history in my opinion. By the whale, by the whale, by the way, Chelsea Kane and Chuck Palahniuk have a podcast together. I don't remember what it was called, but I'm sure it's easy to find. Um, I recommend it. I haven't listened to it, but I can bet it's awesome just based on the two people who are on it. Anyway, uh, Comicsgate is basically just a bunch of idiots being stupid and whining about why weren't things like they were in the 1950s? Um, just, just real, real dumb, dumb idiots. Um, and also just to make it worse about this dude, I did go back and I read a couple of the issues that he colored on Superman of, Superman of, Son of Kal-El. Um, he genuinely sucks as a colorist. I do not know how he got his job, period. It is all very flat colors, extremely lifeless. Um, I, I'm not even joking. I'm not stretching the truth or anything. I kid you not. Go back and look yourself and you will see it too. So really good riddance to bad rubbish. He should not have been on that book anyway, because his coloring is god awful. Um, not that I'm saying I could do better. I just, I have, don't think I have ever seen coloring in a comic look that bad. Genuinely. <laughs> as far as the points that he made, it was completely unfounded. Um, if you are aware of the satanic panic or of the, um, Gosh, what was it called? Seduction of the Innocent, which was the book that was, or article or whatever you want to say, that was written back in the day uh, about how basically comic books are teaching your children to be gay and worship the devil. Um, and that basically got people to panic about, oh, children shouldn't be reading these devilish comics. And that's how the Comics Code Authority was put into place, who made it basically against the law to put queer characters in your comics, among other things. Really, really ridiculous shit. Um, kind of along the lines is how there are places that ban Harry Potter because of witchcraft um, and how it makes children worship Satan and stuff like that. It's... None of it makes sense. Um, but what he was saying on this thing, what this idiot dumbass colorist was saying was that having John Kent become bisexual is just a hop, skip, and a jump from Batman having sex with Robin, a pedophilia relationship, which is insane for him to say, because that is literally, I kid you, I kid you the F not. That is literally what that Seduction of the Innocent book said about Batman comics back in the day, about how it was a homoerotic pedophilia relationship and it shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, shit is so nuts. Like, how do you... Oh, no. And I know how you jump from he's dating a boy for the first time directly to uh, old men screwing children, pedophile. Like, how do you even make that connection? I know how you make the connection. It's because, again, like I said before, uh, trigger warning or whatever, but it's because they can't get, wrap their brains around male sex, man-on-man -man stuff. Like, they just can't fathom it. That is the issue they have with it. 
literally like that's it when it comes down to it it's that um so anyway this dude's an idiot but one of the one of the funnier points he made and and i mean funny again because he dumb um was that dc comics and i quote don't have a right to do this unquote to john kent um to which i i have to say um they they are literally (laughs) the only ones um who do have that right (laughs) Uh, literally, so uh, he went full head up the ass there, and I do chuckle a little bit every time I think about him saying that because it is so, so totally 100% the opposite of the truth. They literally are the only ones who have a right to do that. It's just I I get a I get a good kick out of that. It's funny, but anyway, good riddance to bad rubbish, and uh, he sucks. Goodbye. Across the pond or whatever at Marvel, um, there are once again World War Hulk movies that have returned. This is not new, necessarily. Um, It's been every couple of months, every six months or so for the past couple of years, basically since the Avengers, there have been rumors about a Hulk movie coming out. Uh, Not a single one of them have turned out to be true. I don't even know if there are rumors about a, a Hulk show before they announced this, this She-Hulk show. I don't think so. Um, so I, it's always hard to tell when these rumors show up. Like, how much is this just somebody who's a super big Hulk fan trying real, real hard to read between the lines and see something that's not there? And how much of it is legitimate? And on that note, um, this is reported by a site called, I believe, Geek Worldwide. Um, if I'm guessing their acronym correctly. Um, and they report that they have the scoop with no sources listed. So please, as I go through this, take this with a 50 pound bag of salt. So what they're saying is that a new, apparently solo Hulk, fi- Hulk film, whatever you may take that to mean, is in active development at Marvel Studios. And they report that it is currently slated to start production in late 2022, likely following, apparently, the events of the upcoming She-Hulk series, which will be on Disney+. Plus. Um, it could... It... Um... Because we'll get we'll get to what I think about it in a second. Um, one thing that is a bit confusing about this all is that the Hulk film rights. It's just the film rights themselves are super confusing for superhero characters. And I'm honestly not sure where we left off last with the Hulk rights. Um, but we have only had the one Hulk movie so far because of those film rights formerly belonging to Universal Pictures. It's a big legal mess, very confusing and complicated. Um, But if this news is apparently the source is accurate, if that's true, um, that could mean that Disney Marvel has regained the rights to the World War, well, to Hulk, um, and World War Hulk could potentially be the start to a franchise. Uh, But that being, all this being said, again, weren't you can't possibly know if this is entirely accurate but um i I don't know about the rights the rights are kind of confusing to me if you know about the rights let me know because this is all very confusing they do have the she-hulk rights clearly because they've been working on that show for a while but then the hulk stuff i don't know if it's the same ownership or different ownership not really sure point being the rights of for the hulk Um, would be the determining factor, basically, of if this could even possibly be real or not. 
Um, and as for what I think about this, this, I, I really think this news would only make sense to me um, if this is actually going to be a World War She-Hulk film. Um, not only have we already seen much of the World War Hulk comic event plot details in the Thor Ragnarok movie, um, or I guess it would be, yeah, Planet Hulk, um, but Marvel, they just put out what is honestly an awful... <laughs> god-awful World War She-Hulk event in the Avengers series where, to simplify BS, she basically goes deep, like, super deep undercover with the Russian guard. As far as I know, just to get intel, I'm not even really sure. But I see a World War Hulk um, movie about Jen being way more likely than about Bruce at this time in the MCU, who does seem, remember, permanently wounded. Um, unless it is her fighting him, which is possible, going either way, who's the villain, who's the hero, I think it could go both ways. But again, giant, massive block of salt here, folks. This is all basically pure speculation. In the world of Star Wars, we have it confirmed that actor Hayden Christensen is back, or will be back, as Anakin in the Ahsoka TV show. Uh, various articles across the internet are claiming that he is going to be playing specifically Anakin, which I say specifically because um, I have to believe that it isn't just a casual way that they worded it, and he is, in fact, going to be portraying Anakin and not Vader. Um, if you have seen Clone Wars and Rebels, you know exactly how devastating this news could be for viewers <laughs> with the relationship of Anakin and Ahsoka as Jedi and Padawan, and then you get Ahsoka's betrayal by the Council and immediately followed by Anakin's fall going into years later, the two of them not re reuniting, but bumping into each other, you could even say, um, as Vader and Ahsoka, the Sith and the, what is she, Grey Jedi, whatever she decided to be. Um, and it is rough. I spent an embarrassing amount of time searching YouTube for this fan edit that, um, Basically, it takes your heart and it rips it out of your chest, chops it up into a bunch of little pieces, and uses hot sauce to glue it back together. And then they shove it back in. That's the video. Um, but uh, it's it's they somebody took the Clone Wars or the um, the Rebels fight between if you know if you've seen it you know what I'm talking about between Ahsoka and Vader. Um, where you get Ezra who's trying to save them and all this stuff or save Ahsoka um, and then he ends up getting closed out of the room and they fight and the whole thing collapses and he ends up saving her and through, later on it's, it's a thing it's a whole complicated thing um, but there's a fan edit on YouTube where the scenes of Ahsoka and Vader um, like his mask breaks and she sees his face a little bit under it and his eye um they put in flashbacks of the two of them as allies in Clone Wars. I couldn't find the video, but it's out there on YouTube somewhere, and it is rough. <laughs> um, but anyway, with Hayden Christensen appearing apparently as Anakin, gotta be as Anakin, I'm guessing, um, 
I think that we're going to be seeing bits of that scene of the two of them fighting from rebels, where then Ezra, you know, comes back later and saves Ahsoka in the end through the force portal thing. That is the interaction um, in the time period that we can kind of assume we're going to be seeing Ahsoka in the Ahsoka show. That is the interaction that we've seen with the, with the two of them having already. So it makes a ton of sense that that would be the interaction that they kind of do over for the live action Ahsoka show or something at least extremely similar. I can't really imagine the two of them interacting um, and it not being like that. The other thought that my husband, I have to give credit, he had was that it could be um, Force Ghost Anakin, which I know pretty much everybody wanted to see in Rise of Skywalker and I think we were all extremely disappointed that we did not see since he was the Skywalker who initiated this goddamn journey um but that could also be I mean if, even if we're seeing uh you know force force Anakin uh, after Vader's death whatever the case may be it's gonna be heart-wrenching and I can't wait Tom King has a project that is going to be his first indie comics project. First creator own stuff. Um, I don't have any details on it. It has not been announced yet. Um, but it's going to be coming in announcement, I think, in the next week or so. And I will be covering that on the podcast whenever we know what it is. Because as I've said many times before, I am a big fan of Tom King's writing. Um... I, I really like how he how he does it <laughs> uh, without getting too into the details of that. But um, I, I'm going to be super stoked for this. I have no idea what to expect from him for a creator-owned thing, um, but I have no doubt it will be cool. I also watched the first two episodes of Aquaman King of Atlantis on HBO Max as they have premiered there. Um, they're about 45 minutes each. I would say that this is something very appropriate to put on as background sound for when you're cleaning or cooking dinner or working on something on the computer that you don't really have to pay attention to. Um, not that it means that it's still going to make sense if you don't pay attention to. It's just, it's not really an important anything. I'm sorry. It's, it's not as dumb as SpongeBob, but it's not nearly as good as like Adventure Time. Um, and I did find that it was kind of shockingly low budget as far as animation and sound production and music goes. Very, very weird in that sense. Um, and very dry, extremely dry, <laughs> which is fine, but, uh, but not unwatchable by any means. Just not, it doesn't, it didn't really grab my attention. Um, tune in, tune out. It'll be fine. It's, you're not missing much. Um, not bad, but not great. I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to say besides that. It was fine. <laughs> now we're going to get into the spoiler section of stuff again. The first spoiler is going to deal with X-Men and a new character we're going to be meeting in the next couple of issues. The second spoiler is going to be dealing with Ileana Rasputin. And the third spoiler is going to deal with an Eternals reveal that you've probably already come across on the internet because I guess NDAs aren't a thing anymore. The first spoiler. Here we go. Um, I guess if you don't want to be having any of the spoil, just move on to the section that you do 
want to see next, but okay. For everybody else, the first spoiler dealing with X-Men is Captain Krakoa is going to be taking over as the leader of the X-Men team. This December, we are going to be meeting the character of Captain Krakoa. They are a new mutant superhero debuting in X-Men number six. Uh, with a mission to protect the world from evil, just like the American and Britain counterparts. Um, however, he is obviously here to represent Krakoa. Um, apparently, not everybody is going to be on board with this new superhero. There's going to be a mystery surrounding their identity. And in issue number seven in January, Captain Krakoa is going to take charge of the X-Men and replace even the team leader, Cyclops. Um, he, they've never had anything like this before, um, for the mutants. They've had Captain America, Captain Britain, but we've never had anything like Captain Krakoa before. Um, Marvel has described this character as a new hero, but more than likely, um, is going to be ties with, uh, villainhood because he seems to have a connection with Dr. Stasis, who has also recently appeared in the X-Men uh, book franchise. Uh, Krakoa is actually, if you I mean, if you're, if you're not familiar at this point, Krakoa is a sentient mutant island, um, that works closely with Professor X and Cypher to train and expand its abilities. Um, it is their homeland now, but it is a living thing. Krakoa's flowers are known to have special abilities, and Captain Krakoa has the same flowers on his headpiece, which is making fans like myself wonder, um, is this perhaps some kind of offshoot of Krakoa itself, which we have been able to see it make little miniature creatures before? Is this the upgraded version? Um... If we're talking people who are already pre-existing mutants becoming Captain Captain Krakoa, uh, my vote is for Cipher, aka Doug. Um, it would make a lot of sense for him to be Captain Krakoa, in my opinion, because he is the voice of Krakoa to the other mutants, um, or to the world, really, to everybody. Um, and he hasn't really had much of a role since X of Swords, when he married um, his wife... Uh, Bay the Blood Moon, who I think is awesome. Uh, but this would be a good way to bring Doug back into main X-Men activities um, and also kind of bring in questions of his loyalty. Uh, it just generally, it would be a kind of a fun, complicated reveal for them to have. So that's my opinion on who the Kirkoan captain is going to be or who the, um, yeah, Captain Kirkoa is going to be. This next spoiler, um, I'm going to talk about a little bit further down when we get to the January solicitations at Marvel in 2022, but apparently the scoop is, and again, skip this if you don't want this spoiled, um, Magic, aka Ileana Rasputin, is supposedly becoming the new Sorcerer Supreme. How exciting is that? Now, if you remember, um, that Marvel put out last year or the year before that, the last days one shots, you know, the last days of Captain Marvel, the last days of Venom, etc. And one of them was the last days of Doctor Strange. And in that magic ends up being the last magic user, I think on the planet. And she becomes the new Sorcerer Supreme after Doctor Strange finally passes on. 
In canon, however, Magic was brought into being a very important character in the Empire X-Men event last year. Really, really great stuff. Um, Some of my favorite Dawn of X writing or storytelling, period. Uh, Still headed by by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, It was four issues and, again, major involvement by Magic. We also know that Magic is one of the Krakoan war captains. Um being the leader of battles when they are at war. She is a teacher at Strange Academy. She is a member of this Savage Avengers. She is a leader of the New Mutants. She is the Queen of Limbo. And, uh, or I, th- I don't even know if she calls herself queen or just ruler. Um, but as we will see when we get to the January solicitations, she is potentially about to become a huge huge leader, um, huge member, just a huge piece of the Marvel Comics universe. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get down there. But apparently, um, this is not confirmed. Technically, I mean, I guess it technically is. We'll, we'll talk about it more when we get there in the solicitations. But apparently, Magic is going to be the new Sorcerer Supreme, and I am super down for it. Finally, for the last bit of spoilers in this last bit of news, this is the spoiler that is the mega eternal spoiler that popped up on the internet immediately after the premiere because apparently NDAs aren't enforced anymore. Um, So if you are aware of that spoiler that has been put out, you won't have anything else spoiled for this. I'm just going to be going over that. Um, But if you have not heard that spoiler, honestly, congratulations. And do you just not go on the internet? Uh, but skip this part if you don't want it spoiled. So, uh, the spoiler is Eros is going to be appearing in Eternals, played by singer-actor Harry Styles. I'll just let that settle in if you hadn't heard that one yet. I'll say it again, Eros from the Eternals movie is going to be played by Harry Styles. (laughs) I just feel like that's quite a bomb to drop. Um... And I, I, again, I have no idea how this was on the internet immediately after the premiere. Um, I, I was under the impression everybody at the premiere signs really intense NDAs, but this was spoiled by several tweets by reporters. So I guess screw NDAs. <laughs> Maybe they don't do that. I don't know. Maybe this is a new era of Marvel secrecy where they just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, If you do not know who Eros is, Eros is Thanos' brother who gets the superhero name Star Fox. He does not look like Thanos. He is pretty much just a normal looking dude, but his powers are what make him a problematic character in most people's opinions. He can make you feel however he wants, including feeling lust where you don't, uh, which is honestly his main use of his powers. (laughs) So... Um, you hopefully see how, uh, sketchy that is. Eris' first appearance was Iron Man 55 in 1973 by Jim Starlin, who also created Thanos. This issue happens to be also the first appearance of Mentor, their father, Kronos, their grandfather, Drax the Destroyer originally created to kill Thanos by Kronos. Cronus. I think I've been saying that wrong. I think it's Cronus. And obviously, this is also the first appearance of Thanos himself. Eros, like Thanos, is an eternal deviant, which I have to mention that the recent Kieran Gillen explanation or 
story for how Thanos becoming uh, how he is. It didn't mention Eros at all, so that's a little weird. But anyway, um, he is called or named Star Fox by the Wasp in Avengers number 232, and people are theorizing that he might be coming into play in the MCU kind of heavily after James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is going to be Gunn's last Guardians movie. Um, and people are thinking this because it would leave room to bring in, theoretically, new cosmic characters like Pip the Troll, who's been teased a fair amount, Moondragon, again, who has been teased a fair amount, Phylavel, I can say it again, Quasar, again, teased a lot. Um, the list goes on, but in She-Hulk number six, which was the, not the sensational series, not the first Savage series, but I guess it was volume three, I think, um, number six it is Star Fox is, uh, Eros again. He's put on trial for seducing a married woman against her will with his powers, which they go on, he goes on trial for them basically to decide if this is considered as rape. Um, this is something that his character has a tendency to do throughout his comics history, making him generally untrusted and disliked by other characters. With young heartthrob Harry Styles cast as Eros, I do have a few thoughts on this, including wondering if Marvel is trying to just add a younger crowd to their audience to extend the fan life of their movies. That's that's my first automatic guess. The other side of me has to hope that I'm wrong about that and they cast him to pull a Heath Ledger on us and surprise everybody how by how creepy and gross he can be. Uh, I just really hope that it will not backfire like how they cast Zac Efron as a serial killer, which ended up with young girls on the internet saying weird shit like, oh, I'd totally let him strangle me. He's so hot. Let's maybe not praise and idolize psychos, please. But whatever happens with this, I guess I am looking at this as a psychological social experiment of sorts. Um, I'm very interested. I don't know what the details of the scene that apparently reveals he's in the movie is. Um, I'm, I'm no idea. Obviously, it comes out November 5th or 6th, whatever it is. We'll see it then. Um, and I will give you all the deets all the deets. Um, but I'm just very curious how this is going to pan out. Um, there's a lot of ways this could go. I'm just going to be watching the experiment unfold before me. <laughs> that brings us to our weekly comic book picks. Now, since this is a late episode, I will remind you what I will be discussing here are DC comics that came out on the 19th of October and other comics that came out on the 20th of October. And unfortunately, I have not been able to read all of the comics this week. I did forget to pick a couple of things up at the comic shop on Friday my bad. Um, so I won't be discussing Eat the Rich, Not All Robots, Porcelain, or Thor, um, but I will be discussing Batcat, Nubia and the Amazons, Catwoman, Lonely City, Trial of Magneto, and Death of Doctor Strange. Um, to start that off with Bat Batman Catwoman number eight, this is Tom King and I adore it. The issue that I have with this is that Goddamn, Liam Sharp's art is not meant for this subject matter. There is a level of smartness, I want to say, to Tom King's writing that the sharpness and detailed accuracy of Clay Mann's art captured effortlessly. Um, I have to say, Liam Sharp, while as best as I can figure, does get the paneling down well enough, 
it's just uh, it, it was a working out for me um the plot did move forward a bit in this issue um and there were places that Sharp's art worked really, really well in, like big pages of the Phantasm's mask being like a half page spread and stuff like that. But then I, it was almost completely indistinguishable from, or completely impossible to distinguish Selena's costumes uh, from one another, which is, from my perspective, a main way to differentiate which era the part of the story that you're reading is taking place in this story takes place across three different eras and in two of them selena looks pretty much the same minus the colors of her costume um sharp's very shadowy art which again sometimes fit made it almost impossible to tell what costume selena was wearing at any point in time which made differentiating the time periods very very difficult which made the flow of the story extremely jarring and i mean i spent a good amount of the issue out of the story just trying to piece things together um really really not a good not a good thing to have happen in a comic like this where you have such um kind of smart writing like i said uh, uh you have to be able to pick up on the details and sharp's art does not allow for those details because it is um very shadowy and dark and gothic styled um it just it, it was a little it, it was very frustrating uh, admittedly frustrating um i'm not going to go over it too much more than that just because i kind of want to tear through these pick lists this pick list and get into the marvel solicitations for january um i just i i am wondering if there is a story telling reason that the art changed oh and my other critique of the art i'm bitching a lot but the other thing i had an issue with is um an incredible thing that Liam Sharp does in his comics is that he can adapt his art to the subject matter, um, usually all fairly dark subject matter, but he can adapt it to look the way that will tell the story, that will help tell the story the best. For example, in Batman Reptilian, um, he is kind of doing like extraordinary oil painting kind of style of art with large caricatures in the faces um not really high detail anywhere um a lot of kind of impressionist stuff he also does um some very 2d sketch style art um which is more like a uh impression extreme impressionist style um experimental you might say um and then he does a more high detail uh, lifelike faces and things. So there's like three different very distinguishable styles that he has. And that's fantastic. He does a great job that just shows me what a fucking phenomenal artist he is. But all three of these styles were mushed into the same pages at times of this issue of Batman Catwoman. And it made it, again, very jarring to come across a page that has, you know, in one panel, high detail Selena face. And then directly below it in another panel, the Joker drawn with all of four lines and a splatter of ink. I, I, maybe I'll have to go over it and see if there's some, again, storytelling quality to it that I'm just missing. Um, 
because Sharp's art usually does help tell the story, but in this case, it is hindering the story. And I don't like it. Liam Sharp, I love your art, but get off this book. Nubia and the Amazons number one came out this week, and by God, it was better than I even expected, and I already loved the creative team for this beforehand, so that is saying quite a lot. Last week uh, on the A episode, I guess, I discussed this comic as a spotlight on representation in comics, and totally forgot to mention the phenomenally representational creative team. We start with writers Vida Ayala, who is a non-binary Black Latinx writer, and Stephanie Williams, a female Black writer, and then we have Honduran and Caracan female penciler Alitha Martinez, joined by inker uh, Mark Morales, who is a Black artist, and colored by fellow Black artist Emilio Lopez. So... You, you gotta understand, it's no wonder they had the representation of a strong black woman down so good. Look at the damn creative team. It is packed to the gills with just stellar black creators um, of every kind. It's fantastic. Uh, the plot, the basic plot, follows Nubia as the new queen of the Amazons. Um, as the Well of Souls opens back up for the first time in centuries. Nubia herself was the last gift of the Well to Themyscira, so she feels it physically in her when the Well opens up again. The Well is a place on Themyscira where the souls of women who have passed on are reborn as Amazons given new life on Paradise Island. So the Amazon welcome, the Amazons, they welcome their first new members in centuries. Um, all as Doom's Doorway starts to cause issues once again, Doom's Doorway being the gate between Themyscira and Hell, basically, who Nubia herself has a history with guarding for a time before becoming queen. Um, really, really excellent way that they put together so many different elements from Wonder Woman, Nubia, and DC Comics history. I dig the hell out of it, um, tying together multiple pieces of of comics history as well as modern day representation because notably and i was not on top of it enough to have caught this myself but one of the amazons one of the new amazons who came from the well of souls is a trans woman meaning that they were assigned male at birth but grew to know themselves to be female inside this body so to clarify um stephanie and vita here are saying unequivocally that trans women are women too and can be amazons as well and that is awesome. Um, but I do not want that to be your main takeaway of this issue. I want your main takeaway of this issue to be how fantastically these this team of black, of f phenomenal black creators have come together to put out a wonderful premiere issue of a story following a powerful black woman. Powerful in every sense, physically and govern governmentally. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean. Um, and it's just extremely exciting to have such a fantastic representation of Nubia, who is a character with herself, such a rich DC history. Um, I, I just love everything about this. It's going to be, I think, six issues or eight issues, possibly. Um, whatever it is, it's going to be leading directly into or at least possibly becoming a part of the Trial of the Amazons event, which is going to be happening starting in 2022 in February, um, which no doubt Nubia will have a very important role in as well. Um, all very exciting stuff, and I'm just, I'm pumped for the future of the series. 
For hashtag Poison Ivy Watch this week, um, we had issues of Batman as well as Catwoman that featured Ivy. What it all came down to, just very briefly, because again, I would like to get onto the solicitations. I'm very excited. Um, they're basically just still working on getting the two pieces of Ivy to the same location so that they can figure out how to rejoin them. Same place we've been at for a couple of weeks now. Catwoman Lonely City number one was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I have heard nothing but praise about this and it is worth every, every scrap of praise and more. Um, this is a four issue DC black label magazine format series by Cliff Chang, uh, who is writing, drawing, coloring, and even lettering this all by his, uh, all by himself himself. There's, uh, so he's been on some podcasts talking about how, um, incredibly grateful he is to see this book on the shelves because DC, as you might remember in the past year or two, has been through some turmoil with their staffing. And there's been a lot of people who have been dropped entirely, um, after very long dedicated careers. And that was what was happening while he was creating this series. So he wasn't really sure if it was ever going to make it to the stores and so having it there is as he says kind of a miracle and thank god it's out because it is it is a work of art i can't praise this enough it is truly fantastic um there are several pages of it that i my husband and i agree we would love to get blown up as prints um just really great capturing of the spirit of the character and of course I have to mention how fun it is to read magazine format comics because there's two ways, as I see it, there's two ways for creators to go about filling those large extra size pages. One way, uh, which an example of which off the top of my head would be the Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey series by, um, by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, and that is they take the art that would normally be on the standard comic page and they blow it up to be mega sized. The other way to fill those big pages, which is what Cliff Chang's um, method was, was to add more. That doesn't necessarily mean add more content, more panels, more story, just add more, put, put extra background elements in, make this panel a little bit wider so that it shows whatever's going on next to the figure, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I really, as, as fun as it is to see the extra size stuff in, in the magazine format comic, this, you know, it is true. Um, it is, it's such a, wonderful example of someone who has mastered the craft of comics and i really can't recommend that you pick this shit up enough it, it's catwoman lonely city i do not miss this one trial magneto number three was it was fine um Oddly enough, I, I don't think very much actually happened, if I recall. They didn't move forward too much. Um, the issue spanned maybe a few minutes? Am I wrong about that? Um, we see that the, uh, the new Wanda who appeared in the end of the last issue is the old version of Wanda from years and years ago when she and Vision were still in a relationship. Uh, she doesn't know the new things like her true parentage and not being a mutant, stuff like that. So apparently, um, the, the main guess among the heroes is that this is a Wanda who was brought back through Cerebro in the Resurrection Protocols 
by somebody. And meanwhile, in the weird dream realm where the, I guess, modern Wanda is getting killed over and over again, she finally stands up for herself uh, and rips the hood off of her attacker to discover that it is old woman Wanda. Now, while that could be really cool, it could also be super lame. Um, the old old man, old woman stuff is kind of a weird trend that came out of the old man Logan stuff being extremely popular. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. They did even did it over at DC with old woman Harley. I don't know how they managed to do that without getting sued. It's probably not copyrighted. Um, <laughs> but time will tell if this is going to end up being really cool um, or just another part of that trend. I don't know. We'll see. Finally, my last pick of the week. I am very loosely keeping up with Death of Doctor Strange, which is the event happening over at Marvel. Um, I, the, the, we all know, as comic readers, characters never die permanently. There was even that one very famous well-known rule in comics that you never bring back... Um, let me think. It was... Um, never bring back Bucky Barnes, Jason Todd, or Gwen Stacy. <laughs> that was a rule for a long time in comics. I don't know why. Uh, they're all back now in some way or another. So uh, it's it's pretty much a very famous comic thing that nobody stays dead in comics. So with Death of Doctor Strange happening, do not concern yourself, my child. He will be fine. The first issue ended with him being deaded, of course. Um, however, it also ended with the Doctor Strange of... It said a specific issue, I'm pretty sure, but it was basically, it's this um, strange... Uh, God. Um, strange Tales. It's the Strange Tales Doctor Strange from back when he first encounters Dormammu. Doesn't even know Clea's name yet, but recognizes her as the girl from the Dark Dimension. Um, and that, that's, that's the era of him that we have. Um, I'm not really sure why he just pops up there, but he's there and he's going to help them figure out who killed Doctor Strange, I guess. The old one. So, uh, the reason that I've been loosely keeping up with this is because I love Clea. Clea is Strange's, um, technically ex-wife in a sense. Um, but the last thing that happened to her with Steven in the comics was, if you're familiar with the Spider-Man One More Day plotline, they basically did the same thing here. It was really, really bad, and I could not believe I was reading it. It was that bad. Um, basically, Strange made a deal with the devil, but the cost was taking away Clea's memories of him. How is that a cost to Steven? That's a cost to her, if anybody. Like, that's not punishment for Steven. He gets to live his life like normal and she has to start over. Like, what? What? It was so bad. It was really bad. Um, but that was pretty much the last time that she and Steven interacted. And I've been wondering now how they're going to undo that crap because obviously it's bad. Um, but I guess they're just ignoring it, <laughs> which is good because it was the kind of bad storyline that you just kind of want to retcon and be like, that never happened. <laughs> Uh, but she does show up in this issue. The first issue, he was looking at a picture of her melancholy-like. Um, and she does show up in this issue uh, on the run in, in a new outfit, which I'll talk about again in a second. Um, 
but she collapses into the young Stephen's arms, reporting that Umar and the other lords of um, the Dark Dimension and such are not invading Earth as they move to Earth, but rather fleeing it. Um, because the three sisters, who are these new characters that are being made for this, I guess, uh, they did not kill Strange, but apparently they know who did. Um, they are all magical beings, or no, they're after magical beings, is what it is. Um, to, and then, so they're after Clea, and so they pop up eventually. They take out the Avengers um, and leave, saying, oh, they'll, they'll come back at some point. They got plenty of time, basically. Um... But Clea immediately recognizes that this is not her Steven, that this is a different Steven. So clearly they're just ignoring the hell out of that awful one more day Doctor Strange plotline. Um, and he doesn't know her. He he recognizes her as this young Steven. He recognizes her as the girl from the dark dimension, um, meaning he has yet to, to learn her name in issue 146. So this is somewhere between 126 and 146 of Strange Tales that this Doctor Strange came from. But the thing about Clea that got me very, very interested here is she has a new outfit. Um... Clea's outfits, this is something that I've been wanting to post on as a blog post for a long time, but it's going to be a lot of work to, to get all of these pictures together. Um, her outfits through the years, it's like the creators themselves never spoke about what she was wearing, and therefore, whenever she appears in an outfit from a new creator, it's just their take on what they think she was wearing before. <laughs> So there's a lot of variation, um, but there's like, you know, a few general main ones that you can kind of base as those. That was her outfit during that era. Um, this outfit, well, actually, before I get there, um, the one thing that kind of ties a lot of those outfits and hairstyles and looks that she has together is that they're all a little bit... Um, unusual you know she when her first appearance she, she's got these weird little and she has them for a long time through her history these like shoulder pads that curl upwards and stick out really far depending on who's drawing it um her hair was curling directly upwards in her first appearance and you know sometimes it was long and sometimes it was like a cropped bob and sometimes it was curly and sometimes it was windswept depending again on who was drawing it um but this this outfit um, this reigns in a lot of the elements that were just, like, odd things and connects them to recognizable things, such as her new shoulder thingies are very, very reminiscent of Dormammu's black shoulder thingies, um, that he has that are, like, all snake-like or whatever. Um, and her... The, the like torso of her outfit has kind of um, been made into less leotard like and more like um, functional I suppose um, and finally there appears to be a dark dark purple cloak of some sort um, floating around her now um, I probably would not have made this guess if we hadn't had this extra piece of information and the extra piece of information is a few months ago, we talked about the leaked Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. There sorry, Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness 
concept art for characters, right? And there was that one that everybody thinks is Clea, myself included. The one thing about it, though, is it looked like she had some kind of draped purple, dark purple thing on her, as opposed to her leotard and um, tights that we kind of, until now, knew from the comics. By switching out that top portion of her costume into something more functional and giving her more recognizably, oh, I know what that is, shoulder pieces... Um, additionally, they gave her hair a kind of real world version of the cut that she had before. Guys, they're showing us what her MCU costume is going to be. This is her MCU costume design. They're basing it off this, or this is based off that. Either way, I am willing to bet good money on this. Guys, this is Clea's, this is what she's going to be dressed as in the, in the show, in the movie, whenever we see her, which we know is going to happen at some point, because how the fuck are they going to talk about Doctor Strange's entire comic history and not mention Clea of the Fall Teen, which again, check out my website. The front page has two different articles about her. One is her entire character reading list, including summaries of every single issue that she is in and commentary on her character as well as an article that I wrote in response to an incredibly sexist hot take on her character, um, which you can find both on the front page of my website. I'm very excited about this, if you can't tell. I'm a huge fan of this character. Um, ah! She appeared in Doctor Death of Doctor Strange, and that's exciting, but the fact that she appeared in what appears to be most likely her MCU version of her outfit is thrilling. Um... <laughs> I'm just really excited. Let's, let's, before I just jab, gabber for like nonsense words, let's move on. <laughs> Alrighty, let's go ahead and start what I've been very, another, another thing I've been very excited about. I'm just really sweaty on this episode. I'm getting all pumped up about shit. Whew. Uh, Marvel solicitations for January, 2022. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> there's some cool stuff here um we'll start at the top so i actually ordered these more or less in my excitement levels <laughs> so stick around for the front half and then save the back half i don't care um so she hulk number one is coming out in january this is she hulk volume four by a new creator who has not done any she hulk comics yet rainbow roll with art by Rohe, oh gosh, Rohe Antonio, I think is how I'm pronounced that. Um, unfamiliar with his art, but I am also unfamiliar with Rainbow Roll. <laughs> I don't know what my point was there. Um, really cool stuff. We already talked about how Jen Bartel is going to be doing all of the main covers for this series. Um, to make it even better, this first issue is getting covers, additional variant covers, by Adam Hughes, Art Germ, uh, Scotty Young and some one of the Stormbreakers. It says TBA here, but it's a Stormbreakers variant, so the, uh, probably gonna be Peach Romoko if I could if I had to bet money on it. And then um, if you get the Rob Liefeld Deadpool variant, you are officially kicked out of the She-Hulk fan club. Just letting you know. Um, but this is so exciting, She-Hulk Volume Four. So let's let's go over the solicitation really quick um, before I go into what this all means. 
It says, the best character ever is back in her own series and about to glam up the whole Marvel universe. Jennifer Walters, aka the sensational She-Hulk, is no longer savage and needs to put her life back together. She's got a career to rebuild, friends to reconnect with, and maybe represent in a court of law. And enemies to, well, she may not want to reconnect with them, but they are definitely going to connect with her. And the last page of this first issue is going to send Jen down a road she's never traveled to and that will shake up her life and possibly the whole Marvel universe. We all know that last sentence is just dramatic BS. They put that in every solicitation. Um, but let's talk Jen for a second. So I've already kind of mentioned the, the stuff that I'm referencing on my website. The one that I want to talk about here is the article talking about Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, going through a period where they had immense shakeups in their characters that ended with them having basically taken back the power that their character had kind of had removed from them or rather just hadn't had before and now they have that and it is centered in themselves. For Carol Danvers, um, it was it was the re revelation that her mother is half Cree, and therefore that fateful day when she was struck by the psych magnetron, she did not receive Marvel's powers. The psych magnetron activated her powers, her latent Kree powers. Therefore, she no longer got her powers from a man. They came from herself. That is a big fucking deal. Um, additionally, during the same time period, Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk... <sighs> Civil War II is not an event that people like to talk about for a buttload of reasons. It was not good. But um, part of what happened there was Hawkeye shot Bruce Banner in the head. Killed him. He's dead. He was dead. Um, before that, actually, Carol Danvers, uh, basically the Ultimates with She-Hulk, went out to try and stop Thanos because they got a whiff of news that he's breaking out of his prison cell at the edge of the universe. It goes bad, ends with Rhodey having his spine ripped out, basically, um, and Jen almost dying. <laughs> um, she was in a coma for a very, very long time. They actually ended one issue with the reveal that she had died and then uh, started up the next issue saying that they got her back, which we also saw referenced in the recent Immortal She-Hulk by Al Ewing, which was really well done, tying her Hulk history into her cousin's Hulk history and all the other Hulks with the, what is it, the one below, the one below all. Um, really, really cool stuff. So there's been so much going on with the character, but the stuff that my article that I wrote on my website talks about is how after the trauma of almost being killed by Thanos happens, she wakes up to learn that her cousin has been murdered by one of her fellow Avengers. The only Hulk who she can relate to. Um, it's very traumatizing, you know, tied up with everything else traumatizing that had happened very recently to her. Um, she kind of goes through this whole mental breakdown. Marco Tamaki wrote this fantastic 16 issue series that helps her through this. And it ends with her becoming the more savage Hulk, bigger and bulkier. 
And that is what a lot of people had issue with. But um, as Jason Aaron takes that Hulk into the first few issues of Avengers, up until about issue 25, he handled her phenomenally as a more savage She-Hulk in Avengers. There's even an issue that I reference in that article that talks about why she is now this larger, bulkier, not sensational version of herself. Since then, of course... Um, there have been other developments for her character that have been less good. Uh, Jason Aaron took her so far down the path of turning savage that I even am on board with the, you went too far here, bro team. Um, but he has taken it now even further. And most recently in the Avengers series, there is the poorly named World War She-Hulk storyline where she basically has been a deep cover agent with the Red Guard um, over there in Russia and has become the Winter Hulk. It's all really dumb, if I'm being completely honest. But when it's all said and done, this is going to kick off her She-Hulk series uh, with her being back as the sensational She-Hulk and no longer the bulky savage version that was established in that Marco Tamaki series. So, with all of that information in mind, how do I feel about this? I am hesitantly excited. I think that is probably the best description of any female fans who have favorite characters who reappear in the comics. Hesitantly excited. <laughs> um, because it really just, I mean... She, she did have all that trauma, and that was all part of that what the reasoning behind the more savage appearance she took. And there was so much more than just what I've said that goes into it. Um, I literally wrote an essay about it and I could write another one um, about what's happened since then. And I really need to because Carol's had developments since then and I owe all of that to be added into it and strengthened my resolve on the betterment of their characters. But anyway, um, it really just depends on how this is going to go. Um, there is obviously problematic stuff with her being the sensational She-Hulk, and uh, they mentioned that with her becoming Savage. All how she was, you know, the villains would, you know, slap her ass during fights and stuff like that. Bruce never had to deal with that. Um, so so we'll, we'll kind of have to see what her, what Jen's perspective is. Um what sh why she wants to go back to being this way that's gonna be the thing that um decides for me how i how i go with the series next up we have the new mutants january issue which is still going to be covered by vita ayala and rod reese probably my favorite new mutants team in recent easily my favorite new mutants team in recent history we have covers for this issue the main cover notably by Lionel Francois Yu features Madeline Pryor as the Goblin Queen other covers are by Art Germ um, Dan Panosian Philip Tan and Phil Jimenez let's read the solicitation because this shit got me pumped the labors of magic start here the, two, the big 2-5 is here. Two five, 20, oh, 25, okay, issue 25. And it's the perfect jumping on point for fans new and old. Ileana Rasputin is the sorcerer supreme and the rightful queen of limbo, but she's awfully busy on Krakoa. Someone's got their eye on the throne and magic isn't the only queen in mutantum. Vita Ayala and Rod Reese rekindle an old flame for a whole new generation of magic lovers. So much to unpack. Sorry, that was loud. Um... 
obviously a huge fan of magic. Um, again, go to my website, the front page of my website. I have magic's entire reading order. I have not gone through every single issue of that to write what happens in that, but I've gone through a lot of them. I've hit all of the big points. I have summarized the major issue appearances, um, and I have marked down the key issues. Um, so that is the best way that you can familiarize yourself with Ileana Rasputin's character before the era of magic seems to be starting in New Mutants 25 this coming January. Um, so, okay, a lot to unpack. We have, it says Ileana Rasputin is the Sorcerer Supreme. Boom! News! I can't find anything in any of the solicitations that, that, that confirm this. Um, not even the death of Doctor Strange even though they're looking for a new Sorcerer Supreme, and apparently it's going to be her based on this. Which is so cool! Um, I'm super pumped about that, because they've had it established a number of times before that she is the future Sorcerer Supreme, so boom! In your face. I don't know to who, but in somebody's face. It also says the rightful queen of Limbo. That's not really news. She hasn't really been labeled queen of Limbo before. Uh, more just ruler and, you know, master. Um, but queen, that's kind of cool. So she's taking up a, a bigger, more important role, possibly there. Um, it says someone else has their eye on the throw. Magic isn't the only queen in mutantdom. Um, who, who was that that we had on the cover of this issue? What did I say? The Goblin Queen, Madeline Pryor. So guys, am I wrong in suspecting that we're going to be getting Ileana Rasputin versus Madeline Pryor in Limbo? I mean, like, did you just pluck that out of my fantasies? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> this is going to be so... So rad. Um, also, if you would like to catch up on Madeline Pryor, because we already know that in December she's coming back in Hellions. We're like 99% sure of that, I suppose. January, apparently, she's still going to be around starting up new plot lines in other comic books. There has been a fair amount of concern on online communities among fans of Madeline, such as myself, that when she gets brought back in this new era, it's going to be basically all that it was before when she was brought back, which was basically like, here, we'll let you live. Okay, bye. That was it, literally. Um, for people like me who are very big fans of the character and want to see her done justice, we pretty much unanimously agree that um, we'd rather her ever just not come back than to have her come back and be written off immediately. So the fact that she's going into New Mutants to start a new plotline against magic to fight for fucking Limbo, I, I think they're actually going to give her substantial stuff to do when she's back. I, it's amazing. My mind is blown, but I'm so happy, but also hesitant <laughs> because again, this could just be them pulling my leg. I I mean, I, I've been disappointed before. But this is Vita Ayala, who is a phenomenal writer, who I've already mentioned once before uh, when I discussed Nubia and the Amazons, which they co-wrote with Stephanie Williams. So I feel like I'm kind of justified in my excitement. And Rod Reese, can you even imagine what Rod Reese's Madeline Pryor would look like? Just, just pick, just take a second and try to picture that. 
Oh, I'm just in love with the idea. <laughs> okay, but I will move on now. Okay. Uh, moving on to Silk number one. We are getting Silk volume, let me think, volume four in January. This is going to be by Emily Kim, who is a new writer for the character, and Takeshi Miyazawa, who is a veteran artist for the character. The first issue is going to have covers by, of course, Inyuk Lee, Audrey Mock, David, oh, Davi Go, and Rico? I, it's R1 lowercase c zero. So I'm just going to say Rico. <laughs> Uh, the solicitation here has uh, some nice looking stuff that seems like it's going to be a really fun series here, although we have no idea how many issues this is going to be. The last time they did a Silk series just a few months ago, they announced it as if it was ongoing and then it ended up being five issues. So not a clue if this is going to be, if I had to, if I had to like make a solid guess, this is definitely going to be a mini series but my hopes and dreams would see this as continuing. We all know that's not going to happen. <laughs> I can wish. What it says for the solicit is, Silk is back. Cindy Moon returns as the web-singing spider hero Silk in an all-new all-star series. As Silk gains popularity in the public eye, Cindy is questioning her place in the world, but existentialism will have to wait when a powerful new villain is turned loose. In a race against the clock, Silk discovers the dangers of ancient Korean magic and social media. Don't miss the comics debut of stunning storyteller Emily Kim and the return of legendary comic artist Takeshi Miyazawa. All right, so there we go. I just know this is the comic or the comic debut of Emily Kim, but I support the shit out of her because she appears to be uh, a woman of Asian descent and she is writing a woman of Asian descent alongside a artist of Asian descent. Um, and I support the hell out of all of those things. So this is super exciting. Um, Cindy Moon is a favorite spider character of mine and I just, I want her to be done well. The last series did her pretty well, but it kind of put her off in the end because I have a feeling they cut it short. It's always a feeling that I have with these things, but, um, just, I'm filled with so much hope for this. Um, and I can only hope that after my discussion of it, you are as well. Captain Marvel number 36 kicks off in January, well, I guess continues in January with that 36 issue, uh, by Kelly Thompson with artist Sergio Davia, who I'm honestly not sure if they are the current artist on the series or if that's somebody else. I cannot keep track of it. They change them so much. We have covers by R.B. Silva, Patch Zercher. Oh, I guess it's it. R.B. Silva and Patch Searcher. The Patch Searcher cover is apparently a spoiler cover, so keep your eyes popped for that or blocked for that, depending on your perspective. This is the last of the Marvel's finale. Apparently they added an issue to this run. It says, It's all hands on deck as Carol teams up with the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy to take down Vox Supreme. But Captain Marvel's surprise ally is somebody nobody expected. She's about to change everything and it all starts here. Don't, don't miss the epic finale as an explosion of heroes takes to on the battle to not just save the Marvels, but the Marvel Universe. As I've discussed this last of the Marvels storyline before, as it has officially started um, in the current comics, I, I still have to think that this is going to be Marvel they're going to be bringing back. Um, the the surprise ally, they've mentioned it in two or three solicitations already. Gotta think that it's Marvel. I I there's not really anybody else that you could put there. 
Um, unless you're going to say that her brother's Kree DNA is finally going to snap into place and make him a superhero now because they have the same parentage. So it only makes sense that he would too, but he had a near death experience similarly to Carol, but he didn't get his Kree powers initiated. So there's a little bit of a loose end there. So that could be one thing that would be my two, I guess those would be my two guesses. I, I honestly can't think of anything beyond that. Um, I don't think it's, there's going to be like any deaths or anything like that. Um, I, I honestly just think they're going to bring Marvell back and possibly give her brother powers. That would be, I would prefer to give her brother powers because that's something I've been waiting for since the reveal of their mother being Kree was made. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I, I guarantee though it is not going to be as epic as they say they always write epic epic finale it's gonna change everything it hardly ever does (laughs) now this brings us into uh kind of another side of marvel with the uh daredevil stuff that's gonna be coming on in in january starting with daredevil woman without fear this is gonna be by chip zarsky and rafael della tor governing electra as daredevil it says chip zarsky continues his landmark run on the daredevil story that spins directly out of the shocking revelations in the pages of devil's reign electra is the world's deadliest assassin and she's taken a vow not to kill someone puts themselves directly in her path with deadly consequences what else would you expect from the marvel universe's greatest hunter um i suppose this is happening because the daredevil series is kind of ending ish and this is going to be the continuation of Electra's story which i'm very happy to find out that they are still doing and not just writing it off so that's awesome we also have a uh woman oh i already went through that it's like a woman without fear is going to be of three um i wrote this down twice in my notes <laughs> the covers are going to be by chris bachalo brian hitch john Romita jr uh, Jen Bartell, ooh, Todd Nock, and one of the Stormbreakers. There is like eight or nine of them, so who knows? Um, there hasn't been too much Peach from Moko stuff announced for this month, so my guess is going to be Peach from Moko. Uh, again, it is of three, and I believe this is just going to be him wrapping up his Daredevil Electra stuff after he finishes the Daredevil series. Um, let's see what else do we have for Devil's Reign. We have Devil's Reign Superior 4, which is going to be by Zach Thompson of Lonely Receiver and David Tinto. This is about Otto Octavius being empowered by Wilson Fisk in order to amass an army of multiversal Doc Ox. So, <laughs> I mean, it sounds funnier than anything. Uh, Devil's Reign Villains for Hire is going to be covering Wilson Fisk's Thunderbolts by Clay McLeod Chapman and Manuel Garcia. And Devil's Reign X-Men will be by Jerry Duggan, the current X-Men writer, and the delightful Phil Noda, who I love. I love his interiors. Um, It's going to be, it says, Emma Frost has many skeletons in her closet, but only one of them is currently mayor of New York City. Obviously, we're talking about Fisk. The truth about the White Queen's secret past with the Kingpin comes to light. As Wilson Fisk makes his play, will an old ally of Emma Frost stand in his way or protect the secrets they share? So this is referencing, um, oh boy. It's involving Lauren Chantal, um, who, (laughs) this was so, so cool. So in Marauders a few months ago, uh, 
Lord Chantel is this character who has like one appearance because she was the one of the members of the Hellfire Club and she was the I believe the lover of Shaw who is the Black King right um, but she ended up sacrificing herself to save his life when the Sentinels attack and she dies um, basically she was one of the <laughs> earlier refrigerations in X-Men comics so um, that has always been something in X-Men history that never sat right with people, myself included. Um, it was recently revealed to my utter absolute delight that Emma is a bad fucking bitch. Okay, we knew that. That Emma, um, back in the day, d Lords did not die. Emma discovered that Shaw was beating her, so she got everybody who was in that scene and she um, took control of their minds so that what we saw in the comics happening to Lords and her dying and all that was what they saw. But what actually happened was she worked with Kingpin. Fucking Wilson Fisk for some goddamn reason. Because he's powerful, okay? That's why. Um, to get her a brand new identity and she has since then been hiding from Shaw right under his nose he had no idea she was alive and that shit makes me so thrilled um she recently also popped up in x-men very briefly outside the new x-men like house in new york um so she's obviously going to be brought into the plot at some point here coming up soon i am just beyond excited for as emma has become easily um one of my top five x-men characters um of late, uh, and this is 100% part of why. So she rocks, uh, women rock, men suck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I, oh God, it's so satisfying. <laughs> but that covers, I think, everything that we were gonna talk about for Devil's Reign, uh, leading us into Death of Doctor Strange Bloodstone, which is gonna be written by Teeny Howard, which is super exciting. I'm a big fan of Teeny Howard. She wrote, uh, I was gonna say Stormbreakers, that's completely wrong. She wrote um, Strike Force, which was a fantastic mashup team um, of some really phenomenal characters and uh, ended way too soon. But this Bloodstone is gonna have a cover by David Nakayama, as well as Maria Wolf, Nico, and Nico Leon. What it says here is Elsa and the family Bloodstone. Who better to defend Earth from magical invaders than monster hunter Elsa Bloodstone? Elsa is the best there is at what she does, tough, skilled, and clever enough to handle any problem, except for her brother, Colin. They have issues, and they'll put them to the side to not only to protect Earth, but also to welcome the latest edition of the Bloodstone clan, their long-lost sister. Her awesome set of powers unique to the Bloodstone gen have, and unique blood gem have placed a target on her back, and the worst horrors from beyond this realm are on the hunt. Um, I believe this is going to be referencing how the characters, the sisters, or whatever there are, the three sisters, whatever, uh, from the Death of Doctor Strange series are going to be hunting her and her family down because they have magical stuff tied up within their genealogy. Um, and as a big fan of Elsa Bloodstone and Teeny Howard, I think this is, there's no reason not to get this. This is going to be so fun. Also going to be so fun is Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond, which is a one-shot that's coming in January by Jed McKay and C.F. Villa. Jed McKay did the 
well, he's really done all of the Black Cat stuff in recent history and has been phenomenal at it, so this only has me excited. We're going to have covers by J. Scott Campbell, Peach from Momoko, uh, Nabist, Nabitz Zitro, Humberto Ramos, Adam Hughes, C.F. Villa, and Phil Jimenez. What it says is, Black Cat has been captured, or kidnapped, and the only person who can save her is Mary Jane Watson. Mary Jane has never liked Felicia Hardy, and now she has to save her life. But remember, this is the Black Cat we're talking about. Things are never quite as they seem. What I would like to come out of this one shot is for them to end up friends. Why does it have to be competition? Why can't they just be friends? I get that Felicia's still in love with Pete, but please let's let them be friends. <laughs> I just want them to be friends. <laughs> Sabretooth uh, Volume 4 kicks off with issue number one in January by Victor Laval, Leonard Kirk, and Rain Burrito with covers by Ryan Stegman, Ryan Brown, Miko Suyan, and Todd Nock. This is not very surprising that we're going to be getting a Sabretooth series in January after Inferno ends in December, because I have long posited that Inferno is going to end with Mystique getting the uh, Brotherhood of Mutants back together, which does include Sabretooth. So I just feel like I'm even more right now. <laughs> Uh, X-Lives of Wolverine and X-Deaths of Wolverine number ones also come out in January. These are about Logan, which means I will not be reading them. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Already talked about the Devil's Reign stuff. Spider-Woman number 19, again by Carla Pacheco and Perry Perez. Covers by Jung Young Yoon and Perry Perez are going to be coming out in January. And it's going to be uh, Spider-Woman versus Spider-Woman, some kind of Devil's Reign tie-in um, where there will be two Spider-Women and we don't know which one is the true Jessica Drew. Eternals number nine continues in January with Karen Gillan and Asad Ribic, covers by Todd Nock and Jim Chung. It says, it is eternal indoctrination to eliminate excess deviation, but can our small group of Eternals overcome such programming when living in a deadly, in a city of deviants? We're about to find out as, for the first time ever, Eternals fight for deviant kind. This makes me think that there could be some major shakeup in the Eternals world soon, where it's no longer Eternals versus Deviants, but Eternals and Deviants. And finally, for January solicits, I wanted to mention Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number 87, which does mention that Ben Riley is not going to be able to be Peter, it's not going to be able to be Spider-Man anymore, and Peter Parker also might not be able to be Spider-Man anymore, which leads me to believe Miles Morales will finally get to be the main Marvel Spider-Man. Finally. That's what I'm hoping, folks. I don't read The Amazing Spider-Man. My husband does, so I vaguely keep up with it based on what he tells me. Um, but I just really want Miles to be Spider-Man. Uh, the only other things in January, uh, we'll have the final issues of Fantastic Four Life Story and Al Ewing's Defenders. Which leads me to the last point, the last subject for this week's, uh, oh gosh, this was supposed to be Friday's episode, for this B episode, uh, that leads us to Titan season three finale, episode 13, entitled Purple Rain. 
the whole thing that we're trying to stop here is the Scarecrow's plot that he was he's going to recreate the stunt that he was going to pull before Batman and Robin got in the way back in the day, which basically consists of bombing the city with gas and killing everybody. Pretty simple plan. He's just very dramatic and has a very specific order of things he wants to play out. But the first bomb goes off, a bunch of people are dead and everywhere. Great stuff. Barbara Gordon, who is at the GCPD, broken out of jail, trying to access Oracle, has been cornered, but she is saved by her assistant V, played by Karen Robinson, who I loved in Schitt's Creek, um, and has completely knocked it out of the park here. It turns out she really works for Argus and has been keeping tabs on Gotham ever since Ra's al Ghul took an interest in it, which we know was for the Lazarus Pit. She's also a total badass and takes out an elevator full of armed guards who were headed to get Barbara again. What a boss. I love this girl team five ever. Um, v also reports to Babs that one of Argus's leading figures is Roy Harper, otherwise known as Green Arrow's sidekick Speedy, which is super interesting for a number of reasons, mainly that the Speedy in the comics has a very dark history involving drug overdose, making his name super ironic. But if he's a leader at Argus in Titans, I wonder how different his story must have been. As for Blackfire and Starboy, oh my gosh, Blackfire and Superboy, Starfire immediately calls him out for what he did blowing up her ship, and he honestly barely even hides it. But to my surprise, Fiery Commander takes his own side, saying that she understands what he did and that she would likely would have done the same if their positions were switched. This was honestly a really big relief to me because, as I've said over and over again, I love the portrayal of these sisters in this show, and it totally looked like they were going to do that awful cliche betrayal for love slash misunderstanding that ends everybody's happiness. Her choice to forgive also shows just how much she learned from her tough upbringing and that she's choosing empathy now and being kind to both herself through her history and Connor uh, by letting herself understand him and forgive him instead of punishing or getting mad. Later in the episode, Connor reveals that he was able to memorize every single piece of her ship as it blew apart, and the underground government scientist guy helps him, well, will help him rebuild it for her to return to Tamaran. And they even, in the end, think that they can work out an air filter for Connor so he can visit her on Tamaran, and so on. Argus has the technical capacity to override Scarecrow's bomb system to stop the rest of the gas bombs, but needs someone inside Wayne Manor to open the digital gate, so it's Beast Boy and Jason separately break into the mansion by orders of Dick and eventually end up teaming up together. The safe has a security question, what was the one that got away? And the answer, figured out by Tim, because he's the Batman buff, you know, uh, is Selena Kyle, which is incredibly intriguing. Um, Selena's been mentioned before on the show, or referenced, rather, um, but now knowing that Bruce seems to regret their relationship ever having ended, I am now very curious about that history in this Titans universe. Meanwhile, Blackfire, Starfire, and the Raven end up going to the Lazarus Pit because they got a plan and they're going to gather all the pit up and turn it into a storm over Gotham, healing the whole city, which they do, and it does technically work out, but I have to say I got a bit of a critique here. It's a bit 
too easy. Um, the pit was a total trial for Jason and Dick. They had to fight their way out of it. But these civilians just lying in the streets just kind of wake up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's standard comic stuff. Um, also, while Starfire is using her lightning powers to help throughout the episode, it is never really explained how she has those powers and why they're like that. Additionally, it is not also explained uh, why Blackfire seemed to have the same or some kind of powers during sex with Connor, which we saw glowing under the bed. So I'm not really sure about that. It's not explained either. And finally, to stop Scarecrow, Rachel, aka Raven, dumps all of the nightmares that she gathered from the Lazarus Pit into his mind, torturing him internally for eternity, which I feel is appropriate. Bruce returns to Gotham to see the Titans have saved the city, renewing his faith in heroism. But we still don't know if he's going to be back as Batman. He says his regards to Dick, then he and Jason see one another and forgive one another. Jason even thanks him for killing the Joker for him, which is very interesting because in Under the Red Hood, the comic book where we learn Jason Todd has come back, that is a big factor in his rage against Bruce, that he did not kill the Joker on behalf of him. Uh, in the end, the Titans are going to head to SF again, San Francisco. Uh, Dick asks Barbara to join him, but she declines, which effectively cuts off their rekindled romance, making me hope kind of Starfire and he might finally cross paths again romantically in season four. Uh, the show ends with Tim being invited to join Dick and the Titans in San Francisco as Robin working under Nightwing. What's funny is he went to the airport to see them off uh, and then just goes on the plane and goes with them. No luggage, no calling his parents to give them an update. He just leaves. <laughs> and excitingly, last thing here, it does seem that Ra's al Ghul is going to be the season four villain. Villain. Argus does believe that the pit was deliberately placed in Gotham as a part of a future plan for Roz, but this somehow contradicts how Scarecrow explained it from the season earlier on. He described Bruce Wayne shutting down every Lazarus pit Roz had created, but accidentally missed this one. So either Roz got lucky due to Batman's incompetence, which doesn't really make sense, or he returned at a later date and secretly planted this final pit, which nobody knew about, which seems a lot more likely in my mind. V isn't sure what Roz has in mind, but since the Lazarus pits are how the villains re this villain, Roz, rejuvenates after centuries of his existence, he's likely intending to sneak into Gotham either on the verge of death or already a corpse uh, to save himself or begin the to begin the next chapter of his goals in Batman's own backyard. So what I would like to leave you with on this episode is if that is true, is Damian Wayne in Titans season four? My response is please God. Yes. That would be so cool. The actual son versus the not sons. Like, Oh my God. You live to see it. Um, that would be the ideal for me. It would be have season four, Damian Wayne shows up. Uh, Batman learns he has a real son. And then it becomes the like battle of the Bat Sons. Until they end up being like, okay, fine. I guess you're just like my older brother. I love it. I can't wait. Um, super satisfying. That wraps up today's episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Again, this is the late Friday, the 22nd episode happening a few days late. 
Um, I apologize again for that lateness, but thank you for listening to whatever part of this episode you were able to listen to. I have been very excited about a lot of points that I talked about here, so I hope that um, you've got some stuff that you're thinking about and getting sweaty about, be that comics or comic rumors or the future of shows or shows, whatever it may be. I hope you got something really exciting out of this. Um, the next episode is actually supposed to be happening today <laughs> on the 25th. It's going to be my tw- uh, 29A episode. However, since this is already Monday at almost 4 p.m., I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be tomorrow that I get that recorded. Tomorrow night, since I do have my day job still, um, and I will be posting that by tomorrow evening. Um, aside from that... Uh, I think that's pretty much all I got. Again, if you're at all interested in donating to the podcast, those links are all at the bottom of the podcast description. Um, If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, things you would like to add to the discussion, again, please do feel free to reach out to me on any of my social medias or anything where you can find me really at all. Um, I would love to hear what you have to think about all of this news and comics gabbery. Gabbery is not a word. It is now. Again, we'll be back for 29A at the very latest by tomorrow, Tuesday night, the 26th. And that episode is going to be covering, of course, this week's comic book pull list, more MCU rumors and news. I will finally be going over Young Justice Season 3, which now has three opening episodes. And Doom Patrol Season... Oh gosh, what are we on? Season 3, what, what, however many episodes it is that I've missed on Doom Patrol. <laughs> There's at least one that I need to talk about still, so we'll cover that on the Tuesday episode, which is the standard A episode for the week as I try to catch up with everything here in my life. It's been very cold and rainy today as we get into further into fall towards winter. Uh, Stay dry, unless that is the opposite of what you would like to do, in which case don't stay dry, but whatever you do, uh, stay safe. Do not be an idiot on the roads. Uh, Try not to judge people based on ridiculous shit that you have no way of relating to. And do get sweaty about comics. Have a great week. Or night. Have a great time.